in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it, or what to do with it, or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby. Done. Hello, and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm Gabby Dunn, your host. And this week, we're going to do another listener call-in episode, write-in episode. I'm very excited to do this one because it is about the costs of transition. I have just started mine. Um, My pronouns are they, them. I have just started on testosterone, just started looking into top surgery. So I'm at the very beginning, baby, and I wanted to do an episode where you all wrote in with your experiences and some advice in terms of transition. Uh, it's come up a few times on the show and in our mailbag episodes, and so I thought, why not dedicate a whole episode to your stories and uh, my commentary on your stories? Um, I'm sure this will 
probably <laughs> spark a slew of responses. So maybe this is a part one of two parts. I don't really know. So I'm going to just start reading and playing the voicemails uh, and let's get into it. And I'll let you know what parts are relatable to me. So this is an email from E. Hi, Gabby and Mal. Mal's my partner who's in the mailbags, but uh, they're not here today. You asked for more stories from people who have IUDs or who got their tubes tied, and I have done both. This is a little long, but there's a lot to cover. Some background. I'm non-binary and adamantly child-free. I've had gender dysphoria for most of my life, but I didn't realize what it was until like 2010. My periods were already unpleasant on their own, but having to deal with the physical and dysphoric distress of menstruating was a little more awful every time. Oh my God, I relate to this so much. I'm constantly expecting my period to be done, even though I'm like five months on testosterone. So I'm like, this is the month, surely. I'm way ahead of myself. Anyway, okay. Back in about 2006, I was tired of having to take the pill all the time and wanted my periods to stop. I talked to my OBGYN and he agreed to give me a Mirena IUD, which stops most folks' periods. He did not offer me any kind of painkiller before the procedure, not even a Tylenol or something. The insertion hurt a spectacular amount. I swore at him, which is really not like me. I was told some cramping after insertion was normal, but I cramped so hard that I pulled a muscle in my lower back. Horrible. Later, I learned that some practitioners will numb the cervix first, the way they do to take a biopsy. It didn't have to hurt at all, but he didn't even tell me that was an option. So angry. Anyway, my periods did indeed stop, which was amazing. A few years later, I started having abdominal pain, which was eventually diagnosed. After months of testing, firing my OBGYN for being dismissive, and multiple transvaginal ultrasounds as pelvic inflammatory disease. PID is one of the risks of an IUD. Having a string hanging out of your cervix makes it easier for bacteria to get into the uterus. It's really rare. I was just one of the unlucky few who got it. During the whole process, they found an ovarian cyst, so my new guy set up a surgery for me. Since I was already going to be under anesthesia for the cyst removal, we agreed she would remove my IUD, tie my tubes, and give me an endometrial ablation. An endometrial ablation is a procedure that scars the inside of the uterus so that it physically cannot build up the uterine lining that is shed during menstruation. This means it can't be implanted if a rogue fertilized egg somehow makes it there. Recovery was a bit gnarly, but I have no period, no PMS, no bloating, no cycle, nothing. The IUD stopped me from bleeding, but I still had a monthly PMS and bloating time with it. Not anymore. I never realized how much my uterus was draining me until it was completely stopped. Last time I went in for a mammogram, the tech and her trainee both had had ablations. We all high-fived and talked about how awesome it is. If you menstruate and know you don't want kids, please look into getting an ablation. It has saved me so, so, so much pain, bloating, and dysphoria in the years since. And I want anybody who could benefit from it to know about it. Doctors don't promote it, so the only way to find out it exists and is an option is word of mouth. Thank you for all you do. I really enjoy the mailbag episodes. Best E, they, them. So actually, we also have a voicemail about hysterectomy, so I'm going to play that, too. Here we go. Hi, Gabby and Mel. My name is Lou. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I'm 30 years old, and I'm uh, currently in the process of seeking the uh, to get a hysterectomy. This is very exciting. Um, the story that I'd always been told was that uh, people assigned female at birth will you know, be kind of roadblocked uh, against getting this kind of care unless they have children or enough children depending on the doctor, you know, what they think. But the opposite experience was the case. Uh, when I had a conversation with a gynecologist, she actually brought it up and was like, hey, do you want this based on what you're saying? I didn't want periods anymore. I've never wanted children. And she was like, hey, this is an option for you. Uh, you were asking for uh, stories about um, 
you know, the cost of transitioning. And uh, also there was a recent episode where people were talking about transmedical care. And I thought that my story might help people be encouraged that it might not be as challenging as they fear. Uh, I live in Massachusetts, if that provides context. Um, I hope that helps and encourages people. Anyway, thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for that, Lou, and for your email, E. Uh, we didn't get into the cost of such a thing. I I think insurance might cover it depending on why you want to get it. I'm currently in the process with top surgery of figuring out uh, what my insurance is going to cover. They seem pretty optimistic in terms of uh, stuff surrounding gender dysphoria being covered. Um, so if you have had a hysterectomy and you want to talk about the cost of that, uh, write in. And uh, I'd love to hear more stories about paying for uh, that kind of care. And I'd love to hear more stories about paying for hysterectomies, actually. I also want to uh, give a preface that not all of these emails will be about medical care. Uh, I didn't want to just do trans medical care. So a lot of this will just be about the general cost of transition. Just an FYI. Okay, this is a message from Fran, they, he. Hi, Gabby. I just sent you a response to the cost of parenting and childcare episode, but I thought I'd send in a note about the cost of transition since you asked for those as well. My partner and I are both trans mask. He started his medical transition more than a decade ago, and I started mine a little more than a year ago. It is truly wild how the costs have changed in that period of time. Before he started T a decade ago, he had to pay out of pocket for multiple psychiatrist visits in order to get a letter affirming that yes, he really was trans according to the psychiatrist's professional opinion. I, on the other hand, was able to get my insurance to cover my T after my primary care doctor just checked an informed consent box that I understood the possible permanent changes and self-affirmed that I am trans. I only had to pay my usual $30 copay for that in-office visit. It's important to note that his and my experience were both in the same state. When I started researching my transition options, generic T-gel was not yet available, so I was worried I would be paying $200 out of pocket each month. A generic became available by the time I got a prescription, and my boy juice only cost me $4 a month, which is less than my antidepressants. Oh, boy juice. I don't know how I feel about that, but... If that's what you want to call it for you, I love that for you. I, 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 oh, the word juice is always kind of a dicey one for me. The largest cost for me so far is quarterly blood tests to check my T levels, liver enzymes, red blood cell counts, etc. required to ensure my current dose is still safe. Yes, I also have a similar quarterly blood test to do. I'm actually going on Thursday to get mine done. Back to Fran. Those bills are $25 to $50. I am lucky to have pretty good insurance, and our state recently enacted a law requiring insurers to pay for trans-related health care at the same rate cis people would be charged for the same medications or procedures. Yes, Gabby stepping in here again. Cis men are prescribed testosterone, just an FYI, uh, and cis women are prescribed estrogen. So it should absolutely be the same rate and cost for these medications and procedures. Okay, back to Fran. A cost that often surprises people, though, is the cost of unintentional medical discrimination. 
For example, my partner had to spend weeks arguing with his insurance after getting a hysterectomy when the system kept automatically denying his claim because his gender is legally male and the system was set up to only allow gynecological health claims for people with female gender markers. I imagine this also happens for trans women seeking prostate care screenings. Luckily, my partner was eventually able to speak with someone who was able to manually override the automated system, but it was extremely annoying and could have cost him thousands of dollars if he hadn't been persistent or didn't know how to appeal a denied claim. Also, just on a humorous note, for two years after his hysterectomy, the hospital kept sending him reminders that he was overdue for a pap smear. It was just so absurd that it became funny. Like, you guys removed his cervix. You of all people should know he no longer needs cervical cancer screenings. Thanks for providing a space to talk about all this. Congrats to you and Mal for joining the Homo T for T Club. It's truly the best to continue becoming even more gay in new and exciting ways. Best Fran they he. <laughs> ah, gay in new and exciting ways. There's a really fun TikTok that's like, being trans is a separate thing from being gay. Not the way I do it. And I just love, I love that TikTok very much. Okay, this is from Allie. Hi, Gabby. My name is Allie, and I am thrilled that you are developing an episode for Bad With Money on the costs associated with gender transition. I've listened to your show since season one. My dear friend Danielle strongly recommended it as a way to better understand financial systems from an anti-oppression lens. I'm writing to see if I can help in any way with your upcoming episode. I'm a trans-identified public researcher based at Callan Lord Community Health Center in NYC. Shout out. With a specialty in transgender health. The shout out was mine. Anyway, back to Ali. I have worked in health insurance advocacy since 2014. My advocacy work has ranged from facilitating peer-oriented insurance education workshops, presenting to providers on what they can do to assist their patients who are handling appeals processes, working with state and federal insurance regulators to ensure comprehensive coverage, counseling parents of trans youth trying to navigate restrictive coverage for minors, consulted with companies to ensure that their employee benefits are optimized to cover care, and provided pro bono one-on-one help with appeals and reimbursement for medical fees paid out of pocket. I have a variety of materials I'm happy to share with you that explain some of these systems. Side note, I know show content is limited to a specific amount of time, but it would be interesting to capture how the cohorts of trans generations have financed transition. I started my medical transition in 2009 after many years of live journal engagement with other trans folks, and the variance between what resources folks have now compared to then is astounding, which felt like much more than folks who medically transitioned pre-internet resources. Let me know if chatting about any of the above is helpful. Looking forward to hearing from you soon. Best, Ali. And hopefully we will have talked to Ali at this time, so there might be more on that. Okay, here is an email from Sam, they, them. Hi, Gabby. I'm non-binary and I had top surgery in June. My surgery was covered by my insurance, which means I paid my $2,500 a year deductible and 30% co-insurance on the remaining balance. The total cost I paid to the hospital for my surgery and anesthesia was just under 3K. It was difficult to find out exactly how much my surgery would cost. I didn't have a dollar amount until about a week before my surgery, and that didn't include the anesthesia, which was $180. My spouse and I had already had savings that we were holding for my surgery in case insurance didn't cover it, so I was prepared for the amount I owed. I'm very privileged that the amount wasn't a huge issue for me personally, and I know that the cost of surgery is prohibitive for so many people who need it. Also, it's really hard to save for something that doesn't have a clearly defined cost. As the primary caregiver to my toddler, my main concern in recovery was not being able to pick up my kiddo for the first six weeks post-op. My spouse took two weeks off from work to care for me and our toddler after my surgery, and they had PTO saved to take off more time if we needed it. 
They also work from home, so after these two weeks off, they were able to help when our toddler needed to be picked up, such as putting them in the crib or high chair, and could also help if I needed to take a nap in those first weeks. We have family and friends who came by to help out a few times as well, which was great for helping my spouse not get burnt out during that time. If my spouse didn't work from home, it would have been more challenging to figure out the childcare situation and could have resulted in additional costs depending on the availability of our support network. Thankfully, my recovery went really smoothly, so I was both comfortable enough and cleared to pick up my kiddo after six weeks. The other costs associated with my surgery are all the things I bought to help with recovery. I bought a wedge pillow, two inexpensive compression vests, a shower brush, a handheld shower head, and button-up pajama tops, which totaled to around $200. My friend who likes to sew made a double mastectomy pillow for me for free and subsequently made many more to donate to my surgeon's office. Additionally, there's also scar care after the incisions are healed, which involves buying some combination of silicone scar strips, scar cream, and possibly a jade roller for massaging scars if you don't want to massage them by hand. Before my surgery, I was nervous about spending this much money on myself, but I can say with confidence that it was totally worth it and that my comfort and happiness for the rest of my life is so much more important. I'm so grateful for all the help I had and that I was in a position to get this surgery. I wish all the transitioning listeners all the best and I hope they can get the care they need. Sam, they, them. Thank you for being so transparent with numbers and costs and thank you for including the cost of uh, all the stuff you spent for self-care and to recover. That's super important. Um, I've been looking at a lot of uh, firsthand accounts of top surgery. You know, there's tons of information about investing in the best wedge pillow, investing in uh, scar treatment stuff. And a lot of it seems kind of expensive when you add it all up together. Plus uh, not being able to work and definitely needing someone to help take care of you is a huge privilege. Like if you have a partner who will do it or a parent or something, but if you don't, I, I really don't even know how you would recover from this on your own. If someone has done it, please write in. Or if anyone has had bottom surgery or anything, you know, related to transness, I'd be so curious if you went through it on your own, how you manage that and how much that cost you. Okay. This is an email from T. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I heard in your episode on money video games that you were going to be doing an episode on transition costs soon. So I wanted to write in based on my experiences over the last year. I especially want to offer a glimmer of hope to some folks who expect transitioning to be wildly expensive. It absolutely can be, but it's been way less costly for me than I expected it would be. My relevant background includes having a full-time job with decent health insurance benefits, which has helped immensely. For HRT, I've paid $10 to $30, depending on whether my HRT provider at Planned Parenthood has been a primary care physician or a specialist, every three months for the last year for appointments, and about $20 to $25 every three months for my testosterone prescription, depending on whether I use insurance or GoodRx, the latter being less expensive. I get syringes and needles from work at no cost to me. So that'll be a little over $200 spent come October, which will be my anniversary for starting testosterone. After that, I will have follow-up appointments every 6 to 12 months, I believe. In addition to HRT, I also got top surgery a few weeks ago. I can't recommend my surgeon, Dr. Stranix, at the University of Virginia highly enough and was surprised at how inexpensive it was for me. I knew that I would be getting top surgery this year, so I planned accordingly when the open enrollment period came around last year. I specifically looked at the specialist office visit copay and the outpatient surgery copay in the summary of benefits. With my insurance, my pre- and post-op copays have been $30 so far, and I expect my six-month post-op will be $50 with a higher deductible plan, so I will be paying around $140 for all associated appointments, but the actual surgery only cost me $260 out of pocket. What? Wait, T, what? 
I was expecting twice that, and of course they billed insurance tens of thousands of dollars. My post-op prescription meds were less than $5 total. Non-prescription meds were about $20. I've spent about $100 on gas, $150 on an overnight hotel stay before surgery, $50 on eating out, $100 on post-op extras like a back scratcher, back scrubber, an extra compression vest, and of course we can't forget the lost wages. Because of the physical nature of my work, I'm taking medical leave for the full six-week recovery time. I have used all of my remaining sick pay and vacation time for the year during recovery, so we have lost out on over $2,500 of W-2 pay. Not to mention if I quit this job for another one, I would have to pay back my unearned PTO. However, this is exactly the kind of break I have needed for the last two years. If you can afford it, I can't recommend taking six weeks off of work highly enough in the midst of this capitalist hellscape. It's been a godsend to slow down and rest like this. All told, I've spent about $1,000 on transition-related costs this year, or $3,500 including the lost pay, give or take a couple hundred. And I just realized that's only medical transition. This doesn't include things like legally changing your name or gender marker, updating official documents, buying new gender-affirming clothes, or other even more basic costs that can be associated with coming out, like finding safe housing, employment, and healthcare. I'm really looking forward to this episode, and I'm curious to hear others' experiences, T. Actually, I want to say something. I don't know how many of you guys listen to JBU, my other podcast, Just Between Us, and also this show, but on JBU, I talked about uh, replacing my wardrobe, and I said that I've been getting rid of my girl clothes, and I feel a lot of anxiety about that because I have, you know, imposter syndrome about being trans, and I'm like, maybe I'm going to want this someday, maybe I'm going to regret this, maybe I'm going to, like, change my mind and go back on everything, which I know that I won't. Um, and I'm getting rid of clothes that make me feel really dysphoric. And some of y'all came for my throat saying there's no such thing as girl clothes. And I don't know if like you guys were trying to be helpful by being like, no, you can still wear dresses or there's no such thing as girl clothes or calling clothes gendered things. But I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about my own desire to change my wardrobe to fit more of what I feel like and what I want to wear. And clothes are gendered because they are sold gendered. And I understand that at a certain point in my transition, I might go back and want to wear more feminine things. But right now, to deny that I need to spend money to change my wardrobe is denying reality. I want to, not everyone needs to, I need to, I want to spend the money to change my wardrobe. And I bought all new underwear and all new socks and that was like $200. And I was replacing, you know, my... Uh, shirts, replacing my jeans, that all costs money. So to come for me and say that like I don't have to do that is yes, ideally could I just wear the same clothes and be a boy? Sure. But that that's not the reality of dysphoria and that's not the reality of how I want to present. So like I just was like surprised at this need for me to be like perfect while I'm going through this awkward stage and situation. And I think that a lot of you responded and said you felt that this was relatable to you. But to deny that this costs money, that that buying a new wardrobe costs money is it's just like gaslighting me at this point. (laughs) Okay, this is an email from Art. Hi, Gabby and Mal. I was just listening to the mailbag where a listener brought up borrowing from life insurance policies, and I too would love an episode on life insurance. I know borrowing from a policy is only an option for whole life policies as opposed to term life insurance, but I also generally have questions about whether whole life insurance policies are worth it. 
My parents are very into whole life policies as opposed to term and set me and my sisters up with policies when we were younger. They may be biased in favoring this option, though, because my mom's father died when she was five, just a few days before his term life insurance policy was set to expire. If he had died just a few days later, her family wouldn't have gotten his benefits and they would have been in an even harder situation than they already were with her mom now being a working class single mother of four in the late 60s. I think that knowledge made a big impact on her, understandably, and her mistrust of term policies. My older sister and her husband, on the other hand, who I should note are higher income than me or my parents, have told me that whole life insurance is the biggest scam of the middle class and that rich people never use it as a means of investing. I can understand that other investments might be more profitable in the long run, but I also wonder about the ability to borrow from a whole life policy and if that makes it worth it. Like if you're not rich and don't have liquid cash to cover big things, would having a fund you can borrow from... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. 
Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top-rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible, and the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney, netsuite.com slash badwithmoney, netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. 
I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone. Chime members or not and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. Make it worth the lower rate of returns versus other funds. I don't really understand any of this, so I would love an episode that would dive into some of these questions. I would especially love it as I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to finance top surgery. So I'm going to be investigating that and would also love an episode on the cost of transitioning. Well, guess what, Art? You're getting it right now. I feel like I've been fortunate enough to have pretty low costs of transitioning so far because my gender expression gradually evolved before I realized my gender. So I didn't have to go buy a whole new wardrobe. Thank you, Art, for backing me up. You don't even know you're doing it, but you are. And most of my medical transition care has fortunately been covered by Medicaid. But there are so many little things that add up. And I feel like cis people just don't understand how expensive it can get. So I want them to know and hopefully give trans people more money. One can dream, LOL. Also, this goes back to an older mailbag. But yes, there are friendly cats who love people and cats that let you brush their teeth. My wonderful baby Wednesday is one of them. There are also lots of alternatives to brushing for helping with a cat or dog's teeth. Wipes, water additives, etc. When my cat was showing signs of dental issues when she was just one year old, my vet gave me a whole list of recommended products to use to help. So many listeners' vets can provide something similar if they're curious. Thanks for the show and all you do, Art, they, them. I, you know, sometimes I'm like, what is this show about? And then I'm like, you know, it's about life insurance and cat teeth and transition. Where are you going to find that in another money show? I don't know where. I really don't. We cover everything here. We are going to probably do an episode about life insurance because it's come up a bunch. We talk about it a bit in our boring episode with Stephanie Lee. Uh, so if you want to check that out. Also, Art, thank you so much because replacing your wardrobe does cost money. And I'm so happy to see someone else wrote in about that. I kind of tend, I know you were saying that you did it over time. I'm like a really impulsive all or nothing kind of person. Like I tend to just like go through my closet and just start putting things in bags to to give away. I just will do it like wholesale one day or take a couple days and just cull through everything. Um, and then I end up with a lot of bags that I'm just <laughs> that I'm just like bringing as like a haul to the donation centers. 
I haven't been doing it in a slow way. I've been doing it by getting rid of everything and then replacing everything. And I don't know if that's the right way to do things, but that is how my brain works, where I get it in my head and then I have to do it now. So I get it in my head and then I have to give away like all my dresses or I get it in my head and I have to have like Drew, who's my best friend, who's um, a trans woman and my sister, Shy, uh, come over and try on all my clothes and take what they want, like shopping in my closet. And I just send them home with bags and bags of clothes. And you know what? I still, I still have so much clothes that I will not wear because of dysphoria. So I don't know how it keeps multiplying. It's like the brooms in Fantasia. But at some point, I will have replaced my wardrobe with stuff that makes me feel good to wear. It's just taking longer And it's going to be in these big chunks. And that's just how I do things. And that's how my brain works. And it's probably going to cost me more money than if I did it slowly or thought about it at all. But here we are. I'm imperfect. Okay. Here is uh, an extremely long email from Gage. So just get into it. Make yourself cozy. Settle down. Here is everything you could ever want to know from Gage. Hi, Gabby and Mal. My name is Gage, they, he, and I'm a trans man. I'm writing in response to your call for submissions about transition costs. First, I want to say how grateful I am for this show as a financially illiterate young professional. A note from the future. I realized while writing this email that I'm more literate than I thought I was thanks to your podcast. I'm an early career freelance writer, so it's sometimes hard to imagine myself as someone who will ever have wealth to manage. I come from a middle-class family full of people who all have very stable, well-paying jobs, so it's tough to get financial advice from them that makes sense for my situation. Listening to this pod has helped me feel more confident managing my money and increasing my financial security. Please enjoy this incredibly long and creepily detailed financial overview of my transition as a thanks. Gage, I love this already. I love this already. I love details. I love getting into the nitty-gritty. This is what really helps people. A little bit of background. I'm 24 years old, have been in active medical transition for nearly a year, and I'm on my dad's health insurance plan. My dad has very, very good insurance, so bear that in mind as I discuss costs moving forward. So far, my transition has involved HRT and a salpingectomy, removal of the fallopian tubes for sterilization. It's not a traditional transition procedure, but served a gender-affirming purpose for me. I've never heard it called that. Salpingectomy. Oh, So that's the official term for what some other people mentioned before. Okay, I have top surgery and hip liposuction scheduled for November. I anticipate phalloplasty in the future, which generally requires hysterectomy beforehand. So I'm shooting for a histo before I age out of my dad's health insurance at the end of next year. Speaking of, okay, so this is Gabby speaking again. Hip lipo. I'm very interested in it. I'm curious if I should do it at the same time as the top surgery uh, or if I should wait Um, the person who did Mal's top surgery, uh, has an option for you to do all of that at once. Mal didn't do it, but some places will not do it all at once. So I don't know. I'm curious. Write in if you've had that done or if you think that's something that, that I should do at the same time or if you did it at a later date and that actually ended up being better for recovery. I don't know. Or money. Uh, okay. So back to Gage. I hadn't actually sat down and added up all my transition associated medical costs until now. I had no idea how much I was bleeding myself dry for this. My first two HRT appointments were through Planned Parenthood. Before this, I had never had to pay a penny at Planned Parenthood for any service because of my insurance and lower income. Yet after my HRT appointments, I received a bill in the mail for $150 or $75 for each appointment. 
It was weird because even my specialist copay through insurance is only $25, so like what gives? I can't remember what the reason was, but apparently my local brand of PP levies a fee that only applies to HRT appointments, not eligible for insurance coverage. It's also not waivable based on income like all the rest of PP services. So that was $150 out of pocket. Side note, if I got that bill now, I probably wouldn't pay it as it would barely make a ding in my credit. Ooh, I love when people confess to crimes. I don't actually know if that's a crime, but just me, Gabby, you guys sometimes write in and tell me little, little naughty things you do. Look, this is not on par with stealing a toilet seat, but it is, it is a little naughty. Back to Gage. Then there was the cost of actual hormones themselves. Since testosterone is actually manufactured for cis men and my sex designation for insurance is female, I needed a prior authorization the first time I bought it. Same, 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 Gage. Same, same, same from me. It seems pretty obvious to me why a female designated person with a recorded diagnosis of gender dysphoria needs testosterone, but apparently insurance companies need that spelled out for them. Oh my God, I don't know if I've talked about this on this show, but when I went to go pick up my testosterone the first time and I wasn't able to get it and it was like a seven week saga and I was crying on TikTok, the guy behind the the counter at the pharmacy was like talking to insurance and I could hear him and he was like, yeah, she just needs it. I don't know. So is there anything we can do to help her? She needs the testosterone. And I was like, put the words together in your mind that you are saying. Like, do, do you understand Do you understand what is being prescribed to me and who I am and what that may mean for my... I, I mean, I understand pronouns are pronouns, but I was just like, really? Really, my guy? Back to Gage. I showed up to the pharmacy to pick it up only to be told that I had two options. Call my doctor and have them call my insurance and wait another week for it to be approved or B, pay $700 for T-gel. Yes, Gage, this is exactly what happened to me. This is exactly the same. Oh my God, this is the exact same thing that happened to me. It was so wild. This is my story. So Gage writes, I desperately needed to start the hormones as soon as possible, so I managed to find a good RX coupon that made it about $60. That brings the running total to $210. Speaking of prior authorizations, every time something changes with the testosterone prescription, such as dosage or administration method, I need one again. Yes, the prior authorizations. Okay, this is Gabby talking. It's the same exact gel. It just comes in packets or in a a pump, like a you know, pump bottle. And I want, I had requested for it to come in the pump bottle because it's more environmentally friendly. I think I convinced myself of that. And they had given me a prior authorization for the packets. So I was like, okay, whatever, just send me that one. But because my prescription was the pump and my uh, prior authorization was for the packets for the same medication, same medication, just a different method of administering it. uh, I had to wait again a week because I needed another prior authorization. Like, truly wild. Back to Gage. This is just bonkers to me. The reason why I needed a 40 milligram dose of T-gel is the same reason why I needed a 20 dose milligram of T-gel. But apparently insurance needs to be walked through that. Anyone who's been on HRT before knows that the initial stages involve a lot of playing with dosage. So my prescription changed a lot in the beginning. This resulted in several frustrating trips to the pharmacy where I had to pay again to avoid a lapse in treatment. Went through the process again when I switched to injections and was playing with dosage there. But at least injectable testosterone is cheap. I estimated that after that initial $60, I paid an additional $150 for hormones before I finally settled on a dose and administration method that worked for me. Running total, $360. Plus, this is Gabby speaking again. Uh, How much did it cost for me to cry twice at the pharmacy? Just time-wise. Okay, anyway, back to Gage. Luckily, the clinic where my primary works has a transgender health program, meaning I can get my hormones directly from my PCP. Yay, no specialist copay. 
I still have to ride the bus to and from my appointments, though, which is $2 each way. That includes the four weeks in a row I went in for injection training. I've been to four regular appointments as well, running total $492. Then there's therapy. I'll be conservative here since my therapy is also for other reasons besides trans stuff, so I'll only count the sessions that I needed to obtain support letters for top surgery. My therapist is very lenient with transition support letters, so it only took me three sessions to get them. One session for us to get acquainted with each other, one for her to learn some info about my background, and another to run through a questionnaire that would help her provide my insurance with evidence of medical need. My copay for each session was $25, so that comes to $75, running total $567. I also mentioned my salpendectomy. It was a way of coping with my pregnancy uterus dysphoria before I was ready to commit to a full histo, and it also stopped me from needing to take hormonal birth control that could potentially interact with T. So I counted as part of my transition. I had two appointments with the gyno before surgery, which each cost my specialist copay of $25. The copay for the surgery itself was $150, so $200 total for the salpingectomy, running total $767. I'm also in the middle of a legal name change. I make too much money to qualify for fee waivers through my county, but still little enough that the fees are a financial burden. Total fees came to about $400 for the name change itself. I also had to order a certified copy of my birth certificate, which cost $20. It costs $17.50 in my state to update a license with a new name. It costs $130 to change it on a passport, $40 to change it on a birth certificate. The total name change costs $607.50. Running total, $1,374.50. The real kicker is, of course, surgery. I had three consultations before I settled on a doctor for top surgery. Each one had a consultation fee ranging from $100 to $150 that wasn't covered by insurance. I'll be conservative and estimate each one at $100. So $300 total for consult fees. Running total, $1,674.50. The surgeon I chose lives an hour away from me, which cost me $15 each way in gas, so add another $30 for consultations. Then I received a small inheritance from my grandma's estate that I realized would allow me to pay for body contouring and liposuction to address my hip dysphoria, so I went back to this doctor for another consultation to do the lipo at the same time as top surgery. Another $100 consultation fee, another $30 in gas. Running total, $1,835.50. My top surgery will be covered by insurance, but not the lipo. Since I'm getting the covered top surgery at the same time, my insurance will front all the overhead surgery costs like the hospital stay and anesthesia. Total cost for both these surgeries will be $3,752.35, running total $5,587.85. Okay, so that's good to know. Like, it might be worth doing at the same time just because of hospital stay and anesthesia. That's me, Gabby, saying that. Okay, back to Gage. Since I live an hour away from the surgeon, I have to stay in a hospital overnight. That's covered, but I also have to put up my sister who will be accompanying me in a hotel. That's about $100 plus gas to and from the hospital. $30 again. Running total $5,717.85. Something I forgot to mention until now, voice training. My voice has dropped very slowly and is a huge source of dysphoria for me, so I've sought out private voice training. I did group sessions because they were more affordable than individual. Each session cost $25, and I went in for about 12 sessions, so $300 there. Running total, $6,717.85. November will be 14 months into my transition, so in the first 14 months alone, I'll have spent over six grand on my transition. That's 20% of my income, an average of $400 a month, my biggest expense besides rent. I will literally spend more money on my transition than on food in 2022. 
That's not even touching the histo, which will probably cost the same as my salpingectomy or the phalloplasty, which is likely to happen after I age out of my dad's insurance. That's probably going to be my biggest transition cost and could run me about 10 grand out of pocket with the insurance plans that will likely be in my price range. Reminder, this is all with excellent health insurance, for which I contribute nothing to the premium. Thanks, dad. For the most part, this is only medical costs. I haven't tracked how much I've spent on skincare products to address the testosterone, acne, new clothes, etc. Additionally, I've also been on a relationship hiatus with my former live-in partner to focus on my transition. That means I'm no longer splitting the cost of living with someone else, so that's another financial hit. Moving out cost me somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,000. So if you count that as a transition cost, the expenses of this first year are closer to $8,000. Another dimension here is the cost of lost time when it comes to investing in my future. If my transition were free, that would have been $6,000 to $8,000 that could have gone into an index fund this year. There was a little bit left over for my inheritance after the surgery cost too, and I could have invested that. Now I need to pay bills. Six to eight K also would have gotten me about a quarter of the way to a down payment on a small house in my area. I also anticipate my transition being a huge expense for the next couple years. So it will be a while before I have significant amounts of money to invest. Thank you, Gage. Yes, this is this is exactly the type of breakdown I want. Yes, exactly the sort of setbacky, quote unquote, I say setback, quote unquote, type thing that can happen when you are a marginalized person uh, versus someone else who could have, again, put that money in an index fund. A final dimension I'll add is that my inability to find a safe workplace to transition in meant that I was forced into freelancing, which at this point in my career makes me significantly less money than I would at a salaried job with my bachelor's degree, not to mention the tax burden of self-employment. I'm going to be dealing with the financial ripple effects of my transition forever. It will likely affect my likelihood of being able to afford children in the future, my ability to own a home, my ability to retire, and probably all kinds of things I'm not even thinking about right now. I acknowledge that my feelings of frustration over all this are totally valid. I'll also acknowledge that these are all first world problems to some extent. Most trans people, especially those my age, don't even have the option of pushing themselves into poverty by shelling out 8K for their transition. They're already poor in the first place. Jesus Christ, I'm going to go smoke a blunt and take a nap now. Thanks for all you do and for witnessing this rant. (laughs) Much love, Gage. Gage, thank you so much. This is exactly the type of email I wanted. I really, really appreciate it. This is something that I would have definitely needed. I also can't believe how much goes into this when you are like, you know, you're only a year into your transition and you're going so like whole hog at it. Like the voice training and the the planning ahead of time for phalloplasty and all this kind of stuff. A lot of these costs that we're talking about are medical transition costs. I really liked um, hearing about the clothing type aspect of it and and the voice training aspect of it too. I think that's something that people may not know about, cis people may not know about. I will say that I also know that, uh, and this might just be my audience, that almost all of these emails, I would say even all of them are trans masculine people writing in. And we truly did not get any uh, responses that were from trans feminine people. So there will probably need to be a part two of this episode that uh, takes into account transition for AMAP people or people on the trans feminine spectrum because we didn't get any. That all the messages we got were from trans masculine people, most of them, and and non-binary people on the they-them spectrum, which... I, I am, hello. Uh, but, you know, it'd be interesting to hear from specifically trans women or trans feminine people that talking about those specific costs. Because if you did write in and you are trans feminine, I don't think you specifically mentioned those costs. 
So this is uh, an email from Vinny, they, them. Dearest Gabby and Mal, hello from Maine. Longtime fan of both of you, found you both at different points in my life and then lost it when y'all started dating. And I have been loving watching you grow as a couple and I'm just overall super excited for the engagement, gay, sending you both all the best. Aw, thank you. On to the cost of transitioning. Just thought it would be interesting for your listeners to hear that many states require a publication in the local newspaper when someone changes their name, which usually includes their dead name and address. And as fucked up as that is, I'm happy to report that back in April, Maine's only trans-led organization, Maine Transnet, passed a bill that removes this ancient requirement. According to Maine's probate court website, this additional $65 publication fee is still currently showing and is unable to be removed, but hopefully they will get updated ASAP and that will lessen the cost for Maine name changes moving forward. Tomorrow makes two years for me with my chosen name, and now that I feel safe to do so because of this bill, I'm finally going to start the process of getting it legally changed. Not sure if this is super helpful info for the possible upcoming podcast, but I wanted to send it just in case. Vinny, they, them. Thank you so much, Vinny. This is helpful. Yes, we delved a little into the name change process. I did know about the newspaper stuff, which is just, I, do, I truly don't understand it. Um, I'm sure there was a good reason 50 years ago, maybe, but I can't figure out what it would be. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would be curious if there are other places trying to to fight this. So you have to pay the $65 publication fee, even though they're not going to put it in the newspaper? People opt out of the phone book. Like, we don't... That is so antiquated. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Yes, I have heard of that. uh, And I think it's uh, garbage. Well, thank you so much to everyone for writing in. Again, like, you know, I understand the fan base of this show is what it is. But I would love to hear from people on the more trans-feminine side of the spectrum. And we'll probably do a part two if we get a lot of messages or voicemails. Even if you have, you know, similar costs to these people or you want to write in and say that something cost you more or less or if you are, you know, a non-binary person or a trans-masculine person, I understand. Still write in, still write in. I'm just curious about, um, you know, other stories and uh, and why they were missing. But I'll go searching. I'll go look through the Discord. If you want to, if you don't feel comfortable emailing and you want to put a, something in the Discord, go there and I'll look for it. Or if you want to DM me on Instagram and you feel better about that and I'll try to read the different perspectives there. If you want to write in, though, you can write in to GabbyIsBadWithMoney at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also leave me a voice memo in my email if you prefer. Ooh la la, very fancy. Um, We are, as I said, on Discord, Instagram, TikTok, and Patreon. You can also leave me a comment on TikTok if if you want about this type. Leave it on any video. It doesn't matter. And I'll try to read it on the show next time or in a mailbag, you know, so that we get more perspectives on this because uh, this episode we ran out of time. But we do need more voices. And if you like the show, please leave a five-star Apple review. I think that's everything. And let me know if you want me to share more of my own transition stuff. I'm about to find out, I think in like four weeks from insurance, what it's going to cost. So I'll keep you guys updated. Okay. Love you. Bye. Done. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.